Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 18, Evil Dead Rise. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Groovy. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media, all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Horror is a diverse genre, and all are welcome. So today, though, instead of deciding whether something is horror or not, we are going to be reviewing Evil Dead Rise and deciding whether or not we think it is horrible. So stick with us, and uh, you'll find out more about that after we go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Joe? Welcome to the corner. Um, Okay, so yeah, obviously talking about Evil Dead Rise today. Uh, So my question today is, who is your favorite boss deadite from any of the installments of Evil Dead or of the Evil Dead franchise? Well, um, I'm going to have to go with, I think her name is Henrietta Nobi, Cowby? I don't even know. Wrote it down wrong. Nobi. Thank you. Henrietta Nobi um, in Evil Dead 2, uh, simply because she's the one who does the whole swallow your soul, swallow your soul thing. And the whole swallow your soul and then swallow this, like that, that to me is classic. And the weird neck thing and the bizarre monkey overdub, it's just, it's gold. Hilarious. So (laughs) yeah, she gets my vote. Yeah, uh, Henrietta's classic. Um, I mean, I, I, they're all interesting in their own ways. I guess for me, uh, evil Ash will always have a special place in my heart. I like his, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, Bruce's zany awesomeness, but in evil form. And, uh, you know, one of the moments where, like, his skeletons are all getting destroyed and he's just like, oh, oh, and just, I don't know, his frustrated, (laughs) his frustrations are just fun to me. But anyways, so I'll say evil Ash. Pick yourself up and shally fuck, shally fuck, shally (laughs) forth. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite one is from Army of Darkness, the one that's like, that's like, you shall never possess the Necronomicon, you shall die. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My favorite is also from Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness is my favorite installment, and it's Sheila, hashtag boss babe. And uh, yeah, I will bring it back around to the beginning and say that my favorite is also Henrietta from Evil Dead 2. I think, you know, she's the OG, if you will. And while she maybe didn't pioneer all of the tormenting jokes and things that you find in the Evil Dead series, it's definitely the character that did it the most iconically to me. Well, cool. Yeah, they're they're all fun, and you know, some of the bosses I feel like uh, give the movie a lot of personality. So it's interesting to hear what people like about it. So thanks for your input. All right. Well, as you're already aware, we're going to be reviewing Evil Dead Rise, 2023. The director and writer on this is Lee Cronin. His only feature film credit previous to this was The Hole in the Ground, which was an excellent movie. If you have a chance to see that. Uh, the producer side of it, of course, we have 
are three people who are the most behind the Evil Dead series over the course of the decades, which is Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert. Uh, so, of course, they worked on, to some capacity, all the previous Evil Dead films with Sam Raimi specifically directing all three of the original trilogy and Bruce being in it and Rob producing all of those and then uh, all of them working again on Ash vs. Evil Dead. As far as individual credits, of course, there are lots that you could mention, but some that were worthy of just bringing up in terms of this is, of course, Sam Raimi worked on the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. Before that, he did his previous superhero trilogy, which is the Darkman trilogy, and then uh, also Drag Me to Hell, which is kind of adjacent to the Evil Dead universe, and depending on your headcanon, might count as part of all of this. It does. <laughs> I kind of feel like there's a place for it. I definitely do. Uh, as far as uh, Bruce Campbell goes, he's been in so many things. I think that uh, the things that he would be most notable for outside of the Evil Dead universe would probably be Burn Notice and then maybe Briscoe County Jr. after that. It's certainly something he's expressed a lot of interest in returning to recently. So there's that. And then as far as Rob Tappert goes, he has produced... A lot of different TV shows, if you watch Sci-Fi Channel or TBS on a Saturday during the 90s, you saw something he worked on. Uh, but the big notable things would be Hercules, The Legendary Journal, Journeys. I'm really skipping over my words tonight. Anyway, and more than that, Xena Warrior Princess, especially since he's married to Xena Warrior Princess. So, yeah. And uh, worked on Spartacus as well, which I guess shouldn't be surprising because uh, Lucy Lawless was in that as well. And then as far as the back of the box description, despite there not being a box yet to read from, uh, Evil Dead Rise, the description we've got is a reunion between two estranged sisters gets cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable. So before we get too deep into that, I figured... One of the things that'd be kind of interesting to look at is the Rotten Tomatoes scores for the entire series so far. And uh, I kind of find it surprising. We don't have to dwell real long on it, but as far as that goes, The Evil Dead from 1981, the critic score is 85%. Audience score is 84%. It's pretty darn close there between those two. Evil Dead 2 from 1987, we have 88% for critics, 89% for audience. Army of Darkness, we get our first real disparity in that arena. We've got critically 69%, but audience 87%. Uh, Evil Dead 2013, with our worst scoring movie, is critics 63% and audience 64%. I really don't think that's deserved, but we'll get into that later. Uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV series... Overall, critically 99% and audience 95%, and that brings us to our new installment, Evil Dead Rise, which critically 84% and audience score 79%. Uh, one of the things I wanted to tackle before we get into our actual review of the whole thing is just the Evil Dead timeline, because I think I see a lot of confusion out there when I'm looking at uh, reviews and things and articles about these movies. And of course, this comes down to personal preference, but I do have some quotes I feel to back it up. Uh, the first misconception, at least in my opinion, continuity-wise, is the idea that Evil Dead 2 is a remake and so that Evil Dead 1 somehow doesn't count. I do have a quote from Bruce Campbell, and I'll elaborate on that a little bit after it's read. Who would like to read quote number one for me? All right, so Bruce Campbell said, People think that the character Ash was stupid enough to go back to the cabin with a new group of friends because 
the, because of the way it's retold. We didn't own the rights to our own movie. That was, uh, sorry, we didn't own the rights to our own movie that was owned by New Line Cinema. The second movie was done by Di- uh, Dino Del De Laurentiis. Sorry, I stumbled over your name, Dino. Uh, um, well, we didn't have the rights. We couldn't get the rights to our own movie, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. So we just shot a recap with different actors as though that was the recap as though that was the recap, but people thought he's coming back to the same cabin with these new people. What? So there's a big debate if Evil Two, Evil Dead Two, is a remake or a sequel. It's a requel. It's you know, it's whatever you wanna wanna call it. Sorry for stumbling over that a bit. That's okay. All of the people involved were just deeply offended. So anyway, all of that to say, and then Bruce Campbell, he goes on to describe basically like if you end Evil Dead 1, so you watch the Evil Dead, and then you skip ahead through basically what functions as a recap in Evil Dead 2 and just pick it up right where he gets hit by the evil at the end, at the morning, and uh, go from there, then that's basically just your movie, that's your through line. And so I guess it's just worth mentioning that the VHS era that Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 came out in would have made it more difficult to get VHS copies of the original Evil Dead. So a lot of people who would be seeing the second movie would not have necessarily had an opportunity to see the first movie necessitating the recap. And as he pointed out there, they didn't have the rights to use that footage. They had to shoot new footage. So at least... In my opinion, but with this quote as somewhat support of it, is Evil Dead 2 is not a remake. It just has a recap, which is the best that they could do at the beginning of it. And it is just, it's a sequel. It's not meant to rewrite any of the events of Evil Dead 1, which is made even more clear when you watch Ash vs. Evil Dead, which counts characters from the original as canon, you know, bringing uh, Ellen Sandwise back as uh, a Cheryl but then also establishing characters from Evil Dead 2, like the Nobis and, you know, finding Jake's corpse in the cabin. So uh, both are canon. Evil Dead 2 doesn't rewrite Evil Dead 1. So three movies in a TV show, all in continuity. But then what about Fetty Alvarez's movie, Evil Dead 2013? And for that, we have yet another quote. Fede Alvarez on Evil Dead 2013 says, It continues the first one. The coincidences on events between the first film and mine are not coincidences, but more like dark fate created by the evil book. Ash's car is still there, rusting away. So, to that you might say, But Steve, that doesn't make sense. Why would the car be there? Why would the cabin be this and that? Why doesn't it look the same as the Evil Dead cabin originally looked? And things like that. To which I would say, The original trilogy that you accept as part of all canon has all sorts of continuity glitches. So yes, are there continuity glitches between the three Bruce Campbell movies and Ash vs. Evil Dead compared to Evil Dead 2013? Yes. But there you've got the director saying that at least it was his thought process, his intent, that it's part of continuity. And then we've got some quotes here from Lee Cronin that further cement that Evil Dead 2013 fits in the canon as well as Evil Dead Rise. So, uh, who would like to read quote number three? Uh, Lee Cronin says, In one of the early meetings I had with Sam Sam Raimi, I said, You know the way in Army of Darkness there's three Necronomicons? You had one, Fede had one, I'm going to take the other one. It gave me 
that platform to nudge things forward and also to showcase that we live in a world where there is more than one copy of the Necronomicon. Those books may all have slightly different personalities. It's not exactly the same book necessarily that Ash had in the cabin, but it's very, very firmly related. It could even be more dangerous. Just to further establish that his movie does establish that there are three different Necronomicons out there and which roots it in the continuity of Army of Darkness, because that's where you get that concept in the first place, and then also roots in Fetty Alvarez's movie by saying that it had one of the Necronomicons. So in that slight, subtle, potentially missable way, Evil Dead Rise does link those continuities if there's any further question that it's all in the same timeline. Brianna, do you have the do you have this up as well? I think so. Is the next one from Lee Cronin? Correct. Yes. So Lee Cronin said, we discussed that for fun on set. I think it's possible because all these books exist in the same world. To me, there is a timeline that's linear from Sam's first story all the way through to this. It just happened to different people in different places with different books. So there you basically have it. Now, obviously, if you in your own head canon want to exclude one film or the other or TV show or whatever you want to do, that's valid. It's your interpretation. The art's out there. So you make your decision about it. But if you are trying to make sense of it all, I think that this at least provides some context to say that there is no reason that you can't view all of it as being one through line continuity where you go the Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, Fetty Alvarez is Evil Dead, Ash vs. Evil Dead, and then Evil Dead Rise. My only personal glitch in that is I guess I would tend to say that at least the final season or final few episodes of Ash vs. Evil Dead would probably happen after anything else in this timeline, because otherwise there would be some continuity glitches there. But uh, anyway, just to say, it all fits if you would want if you want it to fit if you want to see it as different timelines by all means go ahead but there's no reason to do so in my opinion so there's that because i know there's some confusion on it so i figured i'd give a little bit of a heads up on that going into this that having been said uh spoiler warning for everything after this point on anything in the evil dead franchise we could spoil the hell out of anything so just expect that but so let's get to it uh evil dead rise is it horrible? How many cheese graters out of five do you give this movie? I am willing to give this a very solid four out of five cheese graters uh, on the side of cheese graters. I was a big fan of the cheese grater. Well done. I would give it a three and a half and not horrible. Uh, yeah, I feel like three and a half also is like the right amount of cheese graters. I don't want to go three, but I don't think I can go four. Being awful stingy with those cheese graters, sir. Listen, <laughs> you know, I appreciate cheese, and I just got to be careful with it, you know? Would you say it's great? Great. Nah. That's a Gouda one. Uh-huh. It's like three trays, <laughs> three cheese graters and a zester, maybe. Come for the <laughs> horror and stay for the terrible dad puns. I'm here for this. <laughs> Who's zesting cheese, though? <laughs> True, I guess. <laughs> I guess not you. I'm going to say not horrible. Three cheeses 
out of five. I'm a tough critic. I was also a little bit of a tougher audience on this. I definitely won't say that it's horrible. I don't think it's horrible, but I can't in good conscience give it more than three cheese graters. We are gonna throw down. Oh my god, I can't. Whoa, okay. <laughs> Hold on. The pearls, they're being clutched. To me, a three <laughs> is still a good rating. I feel like anything over two is a good rating. For yeah, me. let me let me say this. Like, I think I've seen some memes out there where people are like, the Evil Dead franchise never misses. And this, I, I we'll get into all of it. I have my little soapbox that I'll go on later as far as why I had problems with this movie. But I don't think that it's a bad movie. I think that it's my least favorite Evil Dead movie, but that still makes it a pretty damn good movie in reference to any other horror that's out there. Like, I think it's solid. I just, there were things that kept me from liking it as much as I wanted to, and I wanted to love this movie. So, but in any case, okay. So as far as the Evil Dead franchise, I know that we've discussed this previously on our Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness episode, but uh, how familiar was everyone with the Evil Dead franchise before this movie? How much have you seen of what's out there live action Evil Dead wise? Um, so I, of course, have seen the first one, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. I feel like I watched the 2013 Evil Dead, and I don't remember much of it, apart from I didn't like it because I wanted it to be Evil Dead 2, and it definitely was not. So I might have to go back and revisit that. And I have never seen uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. Completely missed that one entirely. So I don't know where that puts me, but that's, that's my experience with the franchise. Uh, I've seen everything, I guess, the original three, the show, and these newer two. So I think that's everything, right? Yeah, five movies, three seasons of a TV show. Yeah, yeah. I should be all up to date then. <laughs> I think I've only missed uh, Evil Dead 2013, and I watched just... I think the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead. I have not seen any of Ash vs. Evil Dead, but I think at this point I've seen all the movies. Um, I didn't think I had seen the thir 2013 one, but I think, I think now that I try to recall past movie nights, I think I have seen it. Is she like a, the girl in the movie, is she like a, like an addict or something, recovering? Correct. And they go to a cabin? Is that, yes. Is that the right movie I'm thinking of? And it's in the woods. Of course. Cabin in the woods. I, I, I think I hadn't made the connection that that was a part of this series until recently. That's fair. I could see coming away with that reaction. Uh, and then I've I've seen all of that, um, and I've read a fair amount of the comics, played most of the video games, watched the musical several times, listened to it all the time. So, yeah, I'm, I got this. Hold on, I'm sorry, wait, I, there's a musical version of this? You're goddamn right. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm making a list. <laughs> and it'll swallow your heart. Yay! Okay, so before getting a little bit further into what the Evil Dead series kind of means and what we sort of expect from a movie within that franchise, I thought we would get a couple quotes here from what 
Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi see the franchise as. All right. Bruce Campbell uh, says, I think the Evil Dead movies are more over the top than your average movie. More blood, more carnage, more mayhem, more suffering. It's more of the full Monty experience. Okay, so Sam Raimi said, I really like the Evil Dead movies, and to me, they're less like a story set in the horror genre than a ride designed to manipulate the audience and to take them on a thrill-seeking experience. And that's why I love going to the movies. I love having this communal experience with a crowd, whether it's horror or a love story, where we all feel the same thing. Myself, the person I'm with, feel emotion, feel fear, feel hope with strangers, and in some way it connects you. Anyway, this experience of the Evil Dead movies provides that in a horror form. Okay, so before we get into the nitty gritty of this film, what do you expect from an Evil Dead film? And then do you feel like this delivered on that? I would need to know, am I watching Evil Dead as a comedic horror or a dramatic horror? Because that's going to change my expectations. So if it's a comedic horror, uh, I want the splat stick and I want the ridiculous one-liners and I, I want the gore. And if it's dramatic, I think I want more like characters to root for. I want to be invested in the characters and I want a lot of tension. I want a lot of buildup and, you know, that stomach dropping stuff. And of course, the gore. Like, I, I really think that when I hear Evil Dead, I think an obscene amount of gore. And I think that this this incarnation of the franchise definitely delivered for me um, on those fronts. I agree with all that. And then the other thing I would maybe add is just that I expect at least a few moments to be pretty cringy um, or surprising in a gross way to catch me off guard or whatever, or be like, oh, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do. Holy crap, they did that. Okay. Cringy is a really good word for it. You're right. I definitely agree with that view on it. Yeah. Um, I think because Army of Darkness was like the main sort of thing that I got in, that got me into Evil Dead. And then I kind of watched Evil Dead 2 and the first Evil Dead with more of a comedic eye, even though I don't think that was their intent with any of it. Um, I I definitely think that gore, number one, is like what you expect from these movies, like crazy, like blood firing from a hose kind of gore. And then I just kind of think of like sort of comedic moments to the horror. And I do think that this movie had that, but it's a little bit different because the effects are so much more realistic in this one than you because like you know how the oldness of the effects kind of gives them a comedy vibe when you're watching the other movies but now you're looking at these like very real effects so there's not really a comedy element to that there are some comedy elements to the lines uh of the actors so i think it, it does fit in the franchise very well this, I don't know, this question's hard for me because I don't really know what I expect. Because on one hand, I agree that when I think of Evil Dead, I think of comedy horror and this sort of goofy, almost satirical, making fun of itself type horror. Even though that wasn't their intention, that's what it comes off as in the original films. But then on the flip side, I think of more like a dark, demonic... Than 
of course you got to have the Necronomicon. Of course you've got to have possession. And like the darker elements of what makes Evil Dead Evil Dead. So I don't necessarily know which side I lean towards more. Like what is the core of it to me? So I think we've all kind of mentioned gore. So I guess just with that in mind, um, I definitely think of Evil Dead as kind of having kind of an over-the-top kind of gore element to it. And uh, also, I I like those kind of stomach-churning moments a little bit. I like to have those moments, as Joe said, like those moments where you think like, oh, they're not going to do this, and then they do it. My first interaction with watching the evil dead and evil dead two was watching at my parents' house and then having to like get them and watch them really late at night by myself in the dark. And like, I'm like sitting super close to the TV so I can kind of hear it without waking anybody and be ready to like mute it if I have to. So I don't know. I always have that feeling with the original evil dead one and two, particularly like I was getting away with something by watching them. So I sort of want that same kind of feel when I'm watching an evil dead movie, like this is not something I should be able to watch, but here I am watching it anyway. Um, so I guess at least as far as the gore side of things, like, and I know that this is going to be a weird hot take on this, but while this movie had plenty of blood and guts, I kind of felt like, I don't know. It just didn't get me there in terms of that feel anyway. Like, I think that there are a lot of things about this movie that that worked and felt like Evil Dead. And I think that was a good story and I like characters. But as far as just like the gore side of things, it didn't get me there. Seriously, Steve, how much more fake blood do you need? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I was walking out of that movie like, ooh, it was so good. Gore tangent, um, full disclosure. So I walked out of this movie with like a little bit of a dopamine high because I thought the the effects were that on point. Like for me, it was the total opposite. Like the gore totally got me where I needed the gore to get me to go. It was really gross. There was a couple of like things that I winced at or that I looked at and was like, oh, that was such a cool effect. I wonder if it was practical or if it was CGI. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a big old nerd like that. I think I kind of agree with Steve on this just because, and this also is maybe because I'm super desensitized to gore in movies at this point, but um, I feel like the trailers were teasing that there was going to be a lot worse stuff in it. Like, I feel That's, like they, yeah. I feel like they approached what, what would make me have been like, wow, that was fucked up, but they didn't do it like the whole like uh tattoo needle in the eye like if the tattoo needle went into the eye there i'm like okay fuck that's that's pretty fucked up but averting it at the last moment that kind of like softened the gore for me and then a lot of the other gore that we're talking about is gore that is now on a thing that is no longer human-like at all. So that's kind of where where I'm coming at with it. Um, one of the other things, like, along those same lines was, like, the cheese grater. And the cheese grater was, you know, a big deal. But what would have felt more like Evil Dead to me is if they would have put the camera, like, inside the cheese grater while it's being run across the leg and you see, you know, what 
you see like up close what's happening. That was, that would have been one of those, like, they're not going to show that they're not going to do that. And then they do, I guess that would have felt a little more like the gore I would have expected, I guess. Y'all go hardcore. You're making me feel like a horror Hufflepuff over here. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I think what made it feel more gory to me then maybe it really was, is the tone, the tonal difference between this movie and like the original movies where there might be just as much or worse gore, but it's like almost like treated as funny. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I guess I think when I think of the original Evil Dead, there's like, there's those moments where I know that obviously they didn't mean for them to be comedic, but there's things that might unintentionally feel like it. But the first time you watch the evil dead, the original film and you see like the pencil go into the ankle or when you see Scotty's eyes get gouged out, like those scenes, like you're kind of like, Holy crap, that's happening. At least that's how I felt about those. So I wanted to have those kind of moments too. And I know I feel a bit like, I don't know, a desensitized jaded horror fan by looking at a movie like this and being like, Oh, I don't know if it was as, gory as I wanted it to be and I understand too it's like oh yeah we use gallons and gallons of blood in the elevator sequence in this movie but I feel like there's this thing in horror lately where everybody keeps bragging about how much fake blood they used in a scene and I feel like I don't know that it's a volume thing so much as it's a placement thing like I I'd rather have quality over quantity when it comes to fake blood I feel like you and I consume horror in the same way we consume alcohol like you will very carefully sniff your pinot whatever and tell me what kind of notes are in it and i'm just like where's the booze (laughs) maybe so yeah maybe so i would just also add that coming from someone who's seen probably like maybe a hundred zombie movies that you tend to really get deep into the gore on zombie movies, like stuff gouging people's eyes out and ripping throats out, and just they really up the ante in zombie movies on how gruesome they can make kills. So, like, switching back into the normal horror genre almost feels like the gore is dialed back a little bit sometimes. So, maybe that's something that causes me to feel that way i don't know maybe so i've wondered the same thing about myself in that regard i guess keeping with the general flow of this conversation how did you feel about the tone of the film then because as we've talked about evil dead has been you know full on the original trilogy has has gone from like attempted straight horror to action comedy and then we've got the 2013 film and this film that go a bit darker so i guess did you like the tone of this film? Is this a tone that works for you? Is it a tone that works for this Evil Dead series? I liked the tone. I thought that it worked. Uh, the fact that it was super, super dark, super gritty. Like this, I don't know, it, it felt grimy to me, which I appreciated. But anyway, I thought that, you know, having the trope of the unresolved family traumas was good. Like that made you invested in the characters. And I feel like the ante is almost automatically upped when when like kids or kid characters are part of the fight for survival in these kinds of horror movies um i was actually a little shocked that you know spoiler alert two of the kids succumb to the deadites in this installment but 
again, overall, this worked for me. I can't believe you guys are so stingy with those cheese graters. Jeez. <laughs> the thing is, too, like in mentioning that side of it, like I liked I liked the story and I liked the characters. Um, I, I like I said, I wanted to love this movie. I watched this trailer a lot. So I went into this film having watched that trailer and being like, OK, I know exactly who lives and dies in this film. I hope that I'm wrong because I even said if you go back and listen to our Black Swan episode, we did a brief kind of 10 minute trailer analysis at the beginning of that for Evil Dead Rise. But yeah, I think I even said there that I, I felt like I knew who lived and died in this film and I wanted to be surprised by it. And then watching through the film, realizing like, no, I I, I got it right. That's who lives and that's who dies. You know, it's it's going to be. Beth and Cassie, the littlest girl that survived, the mom, obviously, no one's surprised by that. She's a dead-eyed all throughout the trailer, but I knew that the two older kids were going to die. So I just, I, I wanted a surprise in that front, and there really wasn't one. I think uh, this film has more characterization in it than maybe any other film in the Evil Dead franchise. I think there's a lot more, like, kind of character building and exploring some of the the feelings and motivations. I do think it did it did good at that. I feel like maybe the twenty for me, I guess the twenty thirteen, um, maybe resonated a little bit more with me as far as like character development. Um, I think, I guess I was a little more invested in some of those characters. Not to say that this did a bad job at that, but I just felt like twenty thirteen did a it worked a little bit better for me. Uh, and then tonally, I guess. I feel like there's two tracks in Evil Dead movies. There's the any Evil Dead that involves Bruce Campbell, and then there's the rest of Evil Dead, which is just 2013 and Rise now. And I feel like they're they're pretty different tonally, if to me at least. And I I feel like this one fell very well into the second track. I feel like it followed the tone of 2013 very well. Um, so that definitely worked for me. Yeah, I agree with Joe pretty much. Um, it almost feels like a different series than the Ash films, but I do like. I did like it. Like I, ca- I can't complain about the movie itself. I thought it was pretty good. I think I feel like this movie knew exactly what it wanted to be and executed that very well in a little bit of a different way than maybe the first two Evil Dead movies. Like, because I think that the first two Evil Dead movies knew what they wanted to be, but then sort of came off as comedic, where I think this movie kind of exactly knew what it wanted to be and and did that. I will say that the Evil Dead 2, the comedic elements of that are extremely intentional. Like, that's it is supposed to be a horror comedy. It's supposed to be a movie you can laugh at. The comedy in the original Evil Dead is mostly unintentional. <laughs> One of the things about this, and I'm curious to see what everyone else thought on this, I kind of felt like the lighting on this movie was a bit darker than I would have liked, and it sometimes made it hard to, to see what was going on in sequences. I've seen it in the theater twice. The first time I saw it, I thought maybe it was a limitation of the 
the theater and the projector and stuff that I was in, but seeing it the second time, I realized that was just what they were going for. Did anybody else have that issue with it or, or did you feel like that worked just fine? I felt like it worked because I feel like when a movie is, is darker, you're as the audience member, you're sort of peering into that darkness, trying to find the movement in the background or where the next jump scare is coming from. So, I mean, despite the fact that I'm terribly nearsighted and yes, it was sometimes hard to watch at points, I it worked for me as far as an aesthetic went. I liked it, but I think to the point of the gore, particularly the scene where she like bites the one dude's eye out of his face, I feel like it being so dark in that scene kind of takes it aw- takes away from how horrible a moment that could have been. Because, like, you can kind of barely see what's going on beneath there what when it happens, so it, it feels less impactful. The darkness kind of does add to the immersion of it, though, because it is set in a blackout, so I guess I didn't really uh, notice it too much. I think it worked for the tone of the movie. Uh, I agree that it was a little hard to watch or hard to see some of the stuff going on. And I recently watched 20, the 2013 one as well. And one of the differences that I think is interesting is I think that one does have a fairly dark, uh, lightings to it as well, but, uh, it's also a little less busy. Like I think just the setting of the uh, apartment, there's a lot of stuff like going on in the apartment. Like there's lots of furniture. There's, you know, it's a very lived in like apartment that, you know, four people are living in and, you know, Beth shows up with all of her stuff. And there's just a lot of stuff in the background where in like the 2013 one, you know, they're in an abandoned cabin and yes, it's dark, um, but there's not as much, I guess, maybe distraction. And like the other thing that that one does is when something happens, it like focuses in and it and it like I I don't know that I'd say that it like lights it up more, but it like gives you a clear view of, you know, what's her face cutting off her arm with a bread knife or with the electric bread knife or, you know, Eric getting stabbed in the face with the needle and stuff like that. Like it it shows you right up close and personal all that stuff happening. How would you feel about this movie if it had no relationship to the Evil Dead series? I think for me, I would probably end up liking it better, ultimately. I think as like a like as a standalone film, not as part of the Evil Dead franchise. You if if you don't include the the mythology of Evil Dead, I think you do kind of lose something here. Um, but I was interested in watching this as a re- reboot of one of my favorite franchises, anyway. Um, but I wasn't terrified by the movie. I think I was made uncomfortable, but I don't know. I think I would have liked it a little bit better. Like, the, the, for me, I guess there was a lot of um, references to Evil Dead stuff that I don't feel like necessarily added to it. Like, it wasn't like it was bad or anything for there to be a chainsaw or, you know, for, you know, I don't know, for a lot of the stuff to be there. But I felt like, it it could have stood on its own with like some slightly different adjustments and it maybe would have felt slightly more natural i guess maybe if that's the right way to put it uh it just 
it just kind of wanted to like nudge you as the audience a little bit with some of those things that maybe didn't need to be there, I guess. Yeah, it was almost like reminding you like, hey, don't forget, this is Evil Dead. I think it could have been a standalone film. But I think if it were, I would have been very confused about the lack of, like, exposition with the Necronomicon. Because they didn't really talk about it. It was just kind of, they interacted with it as if they knew what it was. Or, I just feel like there wasn't a lot of whole explanation or just a lot of depth with the book. Yeah, I agree with that. I think without having previous knowledge to apply there, that would have been a major like plot hole for me. Do you think this would maybe necessarily be a great place for someone to start if they've never seen anything in the franchise before? Yeah, I think that I think that this would hit more marks with more people than not in in the whole Evil Dead franchise. So yeah, I I think my answer is yes on that. So getting into more of what's actually going on within the film, as opposed to talking kind of in generalities, uh, how did you feel about the new characters, the family at the center of things? Are there any other characters within outside of the family that you enjoyed? Who did you like? Who did you not like? I thought that the the youngest daughter was obviously the most interesting because you kind of are almost forced to to focus on a child whenever it's a horror movie because the stakes are higher for a child and in everyone's mind. Um, and I think that she was just good enough to, to keep you interested. Um, and I really liked the, the actress that was the mom. I thought that she did a really, really good job. And the teenage kids, the particularly the the young man was very good. Um, I didn't really care that much for the Ash analog sister very much. I I felt like one line that felt kind of like forced to me that didn't. It just like I don't know. I didn't buy in. Was the whole, uh, I got myself into trouble again. I'm coming to you to fix it. Kind of a thing. It just felt like. That was like out of a trailer kind of a line. Didn't she never really felt that real, or I didn't feel that connected to her. Did that end up kind of hurting your experience with the movie then, since she's supposed to be kind of like our our new main character, really? Yeah, I kind of think the payoff in the end when she's kind of sort of covered in blood and and that isn't as good because like I just. Like, if she would have died in the movie and she didn't survive and just the little girl survived, I would have been just as fine. Like, I didn't really care if the if she lived or died, I feel like. I don't know how everyone else felt. I would have been cool with just Cassie winding up being the final girl. Like, I would be... I would be okay with that. And But... The thing is, is I think the actor makes the role. So in this in this movie, for me, clearly Alyssa Sutherland as Ellie was a standout. Um, but for yeah, sure. Nell Fisher and yeah, Nell, but Nell Fisher as Cassie. I mean, with the doll head on the stick, like I felt that in my clearly unswallowed soul. Like Cassie will definitely need therapy by the next movie if she continues on in the franchise. But I would be willing to see where her character goes, hands down, like any day. 
Yes, I agree with all of that, and I thought that Ellie was exceptional and my favorite character. And I'm sad she's gone. <laughs> it's funny because I think everyone's kind of said their piece on it, but I had this question written later. Where I was like, who is your favorite Deadeyed in the movie, and why did you pick Elisa Sutherland's Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> she was pretty like spot on with this role. She She took something that could have easily been oh, we're going to take a, a very attractive actor and we're going to make them ugly and dead looking. And instead, she really, she really fleshed out the character like all the bloody puns intended. Yes, she nailed it. Yeah, I think despite everything that you might think as far as how I feel this movie, feel about this movie with everything I've said already, I think she might be just under Henrietta if I was to make my list of like, favorite boss deadites Alyssa Sutherland yeah. I feel like she just she just crushed it really for me anyway I feel like it was very effective yeah that's pretty high praise like she's up there with Henrietta damn I'm judging you less for the lack of cheese graters now at this point slightly <laughs> I hold a grudge Steve you know me it's all right I can take it Imagine her in a scene with Bruce Campbell, though, like young Bruce Campbell. Man, that'd be good. Somebody please make that YouTube mashup immediately. <laughs> I'll spend the next six months figuring out how to do it. No, I do won't. Do it. I really, at least for me anyway, um, I liked... Alyssa Sutherland's Ellie, when she was a dead eye, I think she did a really good job. I think maybe she was a little bit wooden before that transformation, maybe. Um, I liked Beth. I thought she was she was good. I really liked Cassie. Um, I feel like Danny's character was a bit unsung as far as that goes, because I think he did a really good job. Um, I just, yeah, I thought his character was interesting in that he had kind of guilt over being the one that released things. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I felt like Bridget, the older daughter, was very forgettable to me. Agreed. I just didn't care about her. So it wasn't like a big deal when she was the second to turn. It was kind of like, okay, I guess. She had a good moment with that glass eating bit, though. That was pretty gross. Oh my gosh, the lines she had too were great. Right. The, like, glass going down her throat maybe is, like, the most cringe moment. But we got that in the trailer. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel like they gave a little bit too much away in the trailer. Having seen the trailer, I wish they would have left a little bit more to the actual viewing of it. I don't know. That was just me. Also, um, who who plays Beth again? I'm sorry. Uh, That's Lily Sullivan is the actress's name. Okay, Lily Sullivan, was she giving anyone else, like, 1990s Clea Duvall vibes? Because all I could see was, I think it was her role in the faculty, and but I'm a cheerleader. It was just, it was spot on for me. Okay, yeah, okay. I can see what you're saying. That makes sense. I had to look her up to be sure I was thinking of the right person, but... So... I digging into it a little bit more and we kind of answered on this somewhat, but uh, so Beth is, is clearly like our final girl, one of two in this instance, but our final girl, she's the chainsaw wielder, the boomstick wielder. So how does she live up to the legacy of Ash? And if you've seen it, how does she live up to the legacy of Mia? 
Well, like I said, I don't really remember watching the movie with Mia. Um, I just remember not liking it initially. But I don't think that Beth is a bad addition to the franchise. I think that this is a situation where all of these, um, I don't know, final folks, main main characters, whatever, I think that they're kind of in the Evil Dead family in the way that cousins are related, not siblings. So I don't know that I can really truly make a comparison. I think they each stand alone. I liked Beth well enough, um, but I do feel like maybe she was a little underdeveloped. Like I wanted to like her more. I hope to see her, I guess, in something down the line where we can like spend a little more time with her and maybe see how she's dealing with what she went through in this. But uh, I, I liked her well enough as a character. I like Beth too, but she'll never be Ash. I mean, nobody will ever be Ash. And honestly, as as far as final girls go, I'm kind of tired of seeing the same copy and paste like final girl. So I'm ready for something new. But it doesn't mean I don't like her. I think, yeah. Uh, and I end up, as it's like thinking about comparing her to like Mia, for example, like I feel like Mia ha- had to be hard, more hardcore than Beth had to be. And I think maybe part of that was just like the fact that there was a child involved and like you couldn't, I mean, Beth had to be like able to be the protector of, of the child. And whereas like Mia was just like scrambling to survive and had to like rip her own arm off and then like shove a chainsaw in a demon's mouth. And like, I know Beth did some, some of that kind of thing, but I guess that's the thing too, is like, and we kind of already talked about it, but I almost wish that Beth could have gotten her own signature weapon or something like that and that i think that would have made her more of her own character instead of like sort of kind of following in footsteps of others that maybe it wasn't necessary for her to follow in so kind of circling back to that idea i think one of the things that's been iconic throughout the evil dead series is the chainsaw on the boomstick but my question is, do we feel like we still need those to be an Evil Dead movie? Do they have to happen or does it end up feeling forced? No, I think that out of respect for the franchise, it's absolutely cool to, you know, include those still. I mean, like, are we going to take away Van Helsing's steak? Hell no. So, yeah, I think there should at least be Easter egg with allusions to those if they're not actually in the movie. I guess I'm not saying they can't be in the movie, but I I don't think they have to be for me, I guess. Like it is a nice nod to the series, but like I th- I think you get moments where like I guess it feels like they like like they have to be, but like I I think like I think Ash versus Evil Dead did a good job of like having these new characters come in and you still had like the boomstick and the chainsaw because Bruce was there and because you or because Ash was there cuz those were his weapons but then you also had you know Pablo with the revolver and you know you had Kelly with a SMG or an assault rifle of some sort they got their own their own things and they uh, I guess I would be okay with our new characters having more of their own things rather than having to use or or have like analogs to Ash's weapons 
Well, they did have Staphne. Yeah, so I was just going to bring up Staphne. Long so Matt said, awesome. we need to start a petition to put Staphne in the Evil Dead game as a weapon. Oh, yes. that would be awesome. Yes. 100% on board. So I watched an interview. This is just adjacent to that for anyone who's an Evil Dead the Game fan that's currently out there. Um, there was a Q&A before the screening of Evil Dead Rise with... Sam Raimi, Lee Cronin, uh, Bruce Campbell, Lily Sullivan, Alyssa Sutherland, and uh, Rob Tappert. And somebody asked that question is if we're going to see the characters from Evil Dead Rise in the video game. And uh, Robert Tapper kind of answered, it was real ambiguous, but it made it sound like there was some negative vibes slash story there that he didn't want to get into rights-wise. So it kind of sounded like without them specifically saying that it maybe really wasn't a thing that they could make happen right now. At least that's the impression I got. Of course, you'll have to check out the South by Southwest Q&A panel on YouTube and see what you determine it to be. But it sounded like they couldn't do it for some reason that they wouldn't want to elaborate on in the moment. Sad time. Sorry. That's too bad. It would have been fun to see that. Hopefully, maybe we will. Yeah, hopefully it gets worked out. Well, as far as other returning elements, then, how do we feel about the new Necronomicon or the idea that there's three Necronomicons out there? I loved the new and improved Snaggleteeth. That was awesome. Um, And I would like to add that, yes, it was Danny's fault, all Danny's fault, because Danny bled on the damn book because Danny didn't wear proper protective gloves to mess around with a stolen book of the dead. Kids these days have absolutely no respect. They just need to learn about wearing protection and consent from books. That is absolutely correct. You always want to wear proper PPE and read the material data safety sheet when you're summoning the dead. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really cool to have like the three Necronomicons or the, I guess I view it as three volumes of the Necronomicon. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea and kind of opens the door for a lot of other things to um, to be canon and to be possible in the series, I guess. I personally thought it was really clever to pull that thread out from Army, Army of Darkness. I mean, I've watched it not long after it came out. I've been watching it for years. I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it never occurred to me the idea that the three books that the other two of them might have been actual books. I always viewed them as traps. And granted, that's probably what they intended when they originally made it. But I think that it's a cool bit of uh, retconning for a thing that already exists that we never had any specific contradiction to, to pull that thread out and say like, okay, well, what if it was three different volumes and that the Necronomicon has these different iterations? And then I like the idea that Lee Cronin's sort of assessment of it that's each of them has a bit of a different flavor to them. So the experience that one might have by reading the incantation from each book might be different. And that sort of explains the tone differences between the evil dead experiences. I just, I thought that was very clever and something I'd never thought of. So I, I like that addition to the mythos. Yeah. I didn't have any problem with it. I I liked it at all. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, how it was portrayed. The only thing that I think did was a little bit lacking. Maybe it was just that how he came to find the book is sort of a random earthquake. Did 
did evil cause the earthquake or did it, was it just happenstance? I felt like that was kind of really ambiguous and maybe the origin of how he finds the Necronomicon could have been a little bit better in my opinion, but I'm not sure how it could have been better. I just thought it was weird that it was just an earthquake and then he found it in a crack under this under the building that they're living in in the city. That's fair. It's one of those, I guess one of those things you always have to ask yourself with any sort of fiction, any sort of story that you're reading is the why now question. So why is this all happening now? And of course, a lot of times with stories, you sort of just butt up against coincidence. I think that the Necronomicons all sort of have a varying degree of displayed will. I mean, in some installments, like Ash vs. Evil Dead, that's out now talking to you. Uh, in other ones, it's a lot more, I will say, uh, less of a character. Despite, you know, Evil Dead 2, the Necronomicon itself is really not in that film hardly at all. So, you know, you have just those different flavors, but I think that at least my personal headcanon is that the Necronomicon ultimately wants to be found, it wants to be read. So I don't know if it's just in that instance deciding that now is the time, but I guess I feel like that would be a valid interpretation anyway. I haven't decided that's for sure how I feel about it in this film, but maybe it just in that moment was like, I want to be found, Earthquake. Yeah, I do think that you're supposed to understand that the earthquake was caused by the Necronomicon. Um, but yeah, it's just a little ambiguous for me. I guess you could go along with that idea and say, well, like, uh, uh, okay. One of the things that bothered me was like, after an earthquake, Danny decides the good thing to do is to crawl into a hole in the earth despite like the threat of aftershocks or anything like that. And I suppose you could go along with the same idea. Like, of course it's not a good idea, but you know, off, off, he's a teen boy who does stupid things, but also, you know, maybe there's the Necronom the Necronomicon is kind of calling to him as well. And I guess I could get behind that idea. I mean, I was a teenager once and I totally would have crawled into that hole. I'm just saying. <laughs> I can't be sure that I wouldn't have either. <laughs> like, right? right after like, how could you, how could you like, see that through a fissure in the earth and not just like do 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 parkour down there and ruin the entire world? I would have done it. I I support Danny, Team Danny. I mean, I I understand all that, but like, I mean, right after an earthquake, like it feels like just the absolute dumbest thing to do. But I don't know. Okay, this is a super apologisty interpretation of this for a movie that I only gave three cheese graters, but here it goes. I was thinking, okay, so you've got this family who's going to be out on the street in a month and lose their home, whose father left them, who's clearly fallen on hard times, and he sees a hole up in the earth and that there's a bank vault down there. So I suppose you could make the argument that he's like, if there's money down there, I need to get to it before anyone else. I need to get to it now. But then at the same time, too, once he's actually down there, I don't know that he's making that kind of search. He's just like, oh, records. Oh, then there's a creepy book covered in Beatles. Maybe I'll bring that, too. I don't get that part of the decision, why he would bring the records. I think they establish his character well enough to say why he would do that. But I guess that's the thing I could think of is like, maybe maybe that would be the reason as a kid you'd be stupid enough to go down there if you saw a bank vault. I don't know. 
Yeah, and I guess despite my like having a problem with it, like I'm not trying to say necessarily that it's unrealistic because I've been a dumb teenager and done dumb things for sure as well. Uh, it just is just one of those like, why are you doing that, kid? Like, I don't know. But anyways, I see all those points and I can I also can buy into the idea of the Necronomicon calling to him. That all being said, I don't think that you're wrong either. I think it's a valid critique of it. So, you know, it would be a pretty stupid thing to do. And it sounds like the mom's also gone over earthquake protocol with them plenty of times. And she was mad enough when they came up through the elevator afterwards. So, you know, this isn't his first rodeo for an earthquake either. I was very sad that the pizza bit it in like the first scene, though. That was tragic. That was tragic. Okay, here's where I'm going to be a real stick in the mud for two seconds. (laughs) I actually don't like the Henrietta's Pizza Come Get Some slogan on there, because if we're trying to say that... Okay, but here it is. Here's why. (laughs) Like, yes, in the moment it made me chuckle, but then, like, if you're going with the idea that this is all connected to the Ash universe as well, which I want to, I would like it to be, I think that it is, then you got to go with the idea that is there really a pizza place that exists that's called one of their biggest enemies that they fought and uses the catchphrase that Ash used when he was fighting her? Like, come on. Yes, because there's three Necronomicons and timelines don't need to make sense. And it's hilarious. And they're influencing pizza places to have slogans that reference catchphrases. (laughs) That's part of the Necronomicon's power. I think it's perfect, honestly. Thank you, Mitz. I support you. I'm not saying I didn't laugh. I did laugh, but come on. I felt influenced to have my name be Groovy in the recording studio for this chat. Uh, And that is out of (laughs) the universe of this. So I agree. All right. How did we feel about the Deadite portrayal overall? I mean, we talked about Elisa Sutherland's Ellie character, but how about the rest of the Deadites overall? And how did you feel about the Marauder incarnation, I guess as it's called, for the the sticking together family at the end? Yeah, the whole family that gets possessed together, stays together, and then gets wood chippered. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to stitch that on a pillow someday. <laughs> <laughs> the Marauder worked for me. I felt like it was very, very over the top. Um, clearly it was computer generated goodness um but i thought that it worked and i thought that the fact that the entire last few scenes were drenched in blood was awesome it just it worked out for me i uh i mean it was visually scary but i guess i wanted it to uh be a little more uh physically scary or intimidating i guess at, at the end of the day i guess i didn't feel like it actually did much except be a little creepy. I mean, I don't, I, I liked them. I think they were, I really liked the, uh, book when it showed the picture of the dead eye in the book. And then we knew it was coming next. That was cool. I'm glad they seem to show more pages of the Necronomicon. Is, am I correct in saying that? Cause in the other evil dead movies, I was always like, man, I really just want to flip through that, through that book. And I feel like this kind of scratched that itch for me too. 
I mean, they definitely show a lot of different pages throughout the original trilogy and, and in the TV series. So there's stuff out there, but I don't know that you ever get a scene necessarily where they're really flipping all the way from front to back. So it's kind of piecemeal over the years. So I don't know if by volume, maybe Evil Dead Rise showed more pages in a single movie. Maybe that's possible. But I I mean, there are plenty of pages out there of the other of the other volume, the Ash volume, we'll say. I, I liked the artwork in this particular Necronomicon. Like I I stayed through the end credits because I was secretly hoping for like a, a Bruce Campbell cameo at the very end credits. I was disappointed. Way to let me down. Since we kind of touched on it with um, the Marauder part of it, how did you guys feel about the finale of Evil Dead Rise? Was that kind of what you were hoping for? Did you enjoy it? I thought it was good. I liked that, like, basically the entire meat of the movie was flashback. That was fun. And <laughs> I went to see it with a friend in the movie theater, and um, when the girl who's going who is on her way to the cabin that we see in the first scene when I see her like oh she kind of like doesn't get in her car and oh she's walking closer and oh now she's horrified I turned to my friend and I was just like that dumb bitch like this whole thing could have been avoided if she had just minded her business and went to the damn cabin girls I'm telling you I liked it I thought it was a cool way for them to kind of maybe keep it open for more stuff. Um, I liked, you know, I, I, I liked that you saw what was happening at the beginning and you kind of always had that in the back of your mind, like how are we going to get there or how's that going to happen? So that was kind of cool to have that capped off at the end. I think it works with the part in the movie where the son, the boy is listening to the records and one of the recordings says, you know, I tried to dismember it. It didn't work. I tried to burn it. It didn't work. Nothing will stop this. They will continue forever and ever and ever. They will always find a way to put themselves back together and continue to cause evil. And then I think that works with the end of the movie. Um, because you know that it's never going to end. And it's just passed on from person to person to situation to situation just keeps going there's no way to stop it i wanted to see them get out of the parking garage and like have mia show up right at the end and like have a hard connection to the other one and just like have her be like all right like get in we we gotta survive together i don't know something yeah that was definitely part of my wish list Imagine Ash, Mia, and Beth, and Cassie as a dream team in the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. It'd be like Zombieland if Zombieland were horror. You could be yeah. like, let's go, ladies. It'd be perfect. And we need to get Kelly and Pablo in there, too, I think. For sure. And that's something that I had wanted out of this movie. And I they gave a little bit, but I wanted this movie to establish a more clear connection with the other films, like establish that it was definitely happening in the same universe. And the three Necronomicon thing, really, it gives you something in the movie, but it's really just 
through interviews that that's clarified exactly what they were getting at. It's not like they told you in the movie, like, hey, there's no flashback to Army of Darkness showing all three on the table or anything. So I guess I wanted a little bit more of a solid connection to the rest of the franchise. I was a little disappointed that didn't happen. But um, I feel like the final fight, I think that it was it was interesting on an emotional level and the creature was kind of interesting. I think that them combining didn't work out to be quite as logistically menacingly as, as I wanted it to be. Like the idea of it, them fused together is certainly a creepy vibe, but uh, logistically as a, uh, as an actual foe to fight, it didn't seem necessarily more formidable than it was before when when they all joined together into the Marauder. Yeah, it was honestly just comical. I think overall the Deadites in this don't really feel very strong. It feels like if everybody that was in a good state of mind just had a baseball bat and no inhibitions, that they would just be fine. You know what I mean? That's kind of why I put in the Discord... <laughs> Honestly, Ellie is just like a woman on bath salts. <laughs> like, once you shut and lock the door, she just starts banging her head on the door. She she doesn't actually try to get in or anything. And there's definitely some varied strength levels there. I mean, like, one second she's ripping a kid's arms both off and tossing him through the air. Uh, but then, in, you know, the next moment she's being hit with a chair and that's enough to, like, knock her down for a sec. So it's it's a little bit variable for sure. Do you think that this movie didn't end up feeling scary? I mean, the Evil Dead's kind of always self-proclaimed the ultimate experience in grueling terror. Did this live up to that? And if so, what were some of the creepiest moments for you? I think it was all about body horror for me. I feel like there was a few times when I like jumped a little in my seat, but I didn't leave this movie like being afraid of the dark. And for me, if it doesn't get in my head, it's not quite as good as I want it to be. Um, but again, body horror was awesome. Um, I think the glass swallowing, the knife through the hand, the cheese grater, like the, the, you know, the Stanley Hotel elevator full of blood at the end. All of that was just, that was really rather grand, in my humble but correct opinion. <laughs> also, nice reference to the hotel that started the whole Shining thing, so that's awesome. <laughs> right? I mean, it's hard to ask a group of horror movie fans if a movie is scary, because we're all going to say no, I feel like. <laughs> Uh, but I think it was objectively scary, like to the average person. Yes, I think it was. I think that's fair. And as you say, with avid horror fans, I think that's the metric that you have to go off of. Whether or not something is scary doesn't necessarily mean were you scared by it, but yeah, do you feel like it's objectively scary? And I, I would agree. I think that it probably is for some people, I could see that being quite effective. I think one of the things that this movie had going for it, as far as scary and intense, um, that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's not in the other movies, but like this one deal more directly with children. Uh, and yeah. with, with some of the other Evil Dead movies, 
like there's at least a little bit of me that I can like kind of set it all aside and be like, well, these are, you know, adults and it somehow doesn't, I mean, it still matters obviously, but like when you add the children in, it's just another factor that you is suddenly a little, a little scarier just cause they're there and just cause you're more worried about them or that's, that's my, my feelings on it while I am watching it, I guess. So I think, scary wise maybe it did have that going for it i think that it is a i think that it is a, a horror movie it is scary um i certainly didn't lose any sleep watching it um but yeah take that with a grain of salt i guess one of the things um so we're getting a little bit long so i don't want to like belabor this point but i did want to make it because it's something that bugged me about this movie and had gave me a little bit of a hard time getting into it at the beginning was just that I feel like the movie spent a lot of its first act overly establishing slash foreshadowing things. So some examples of that is, you know, you've got some things where they establish it more than is necessary. So for instance, in the first scene, you have the drone that flies in and that would have been enough for me to establish the drone but they have to make a point of having a conversation of like, you almost took my head off. No, it would have just mangled your face. It wouldn't have taken your head off. And then, of course, as soon as they say that, then you know as the audience that that's exactly what they're planning on doing. And uh, I think that you got a lot of that kind of stuff in the early act where they're like, hey, the elevator is not a great idea after an earthquake or the garage door opener, that's real slow, it doesn't work, and the neighbor's got to pop in and let you know, hey, there's vents here, and my cat goes through the vents into different apartments sometimes, and, you know, we can't just see the wood chipper down below, we need to have something knock it so that the door of it opens too, and I'm establishing some things that I feel like were just completely sort of unnecessary, like, that there's scissors in the house at all, I guess. I don't feel like that's something we need to explain. So I just feel like there's there was a lot of time spent overly establishing stuff at the beginning of the film that might have been better spent on character development. And I think the drone as an example of that over-establishment kind of goes back to what Matt was saying about the movie not really paying that off in a way that feels satisfying. Because so, all right, so they have the drone. They tell you, hey, that would mess up somebody's face. So you're like, okay, that's going to mess up somebody's face later. So then you've got three characters. So you've got three options. It can go in the deadite's face. It can go in the girl who's been decapitated's face. It can go in the boyfriend's face. So they choose the path of least resistance, which is to have it go in the deadite's face as a self-inflicted thing. And they don't really show the gore results of that happening, just she hits it and it's like a grenade knocks them both ways and then and that's it. And I feel like that could have been more effective because as soon as they made the drone comment to me, I thought, okay, we're going to get a close-up of that going into someone's face. And then that doesn't really happen. So I guess that's the thing that bugged me a little bit and took me out of the early situation with the movie is spending so much time establishing things either that didn't need to be established that like apartment buildings have vents that an apartment might have scissors or over establishing something be like, Hey, nudge, nudge. Did you see the whooper, wood chipper down there? Did you see the wood chipper? We're going to do something with the wood chipper later. You ready for that? Like, I just, I felt like that was unnecessary. And when you think about a lot of that happening in the first third of the movie, that's a lot of real estate early on that didn't need to be spent. 
So I guess that's my soapbox about one of the things that bugged me and made it hard for me to get into the movie early on. I'm going to disagree with you about those scissors, man, because that little girl, bless her heart, was using her mother's good craft scissors to saw the head off one of her dolls. And let me tell you, in my household, that would have been worthy of murder as well. Like, my mommy would have sent me to the maggots for that shit, too. Don't touch but the craft scissors. But did they need to have a conversation ever. about the fact that they existed and establish that they were under the couch? If they had pulled scissors, like, if the same scene where they were used on Ellie happened... And it was just Cassie rooting through a craft drawer and then sliding the scissors to Beth. Would you have been sitting in that moment and being like, damn, I didn't know they had scissors in that house. They really needed to establish that and tell me exactly where the scissors are so that I could understand this moment. Like, I just don't feel like the extent that they took it to was necessary. They didn't need to have to have a conversation about it. Sure, they could show her using them, but like, it just it was more than was necessary. And they did that over and over again with a bunch of different things. I don't know. I think the whole movie is meant to be overkill in a lot of ways. And I think that overstating plot devices is kind of what Evil Dead has always done. I think I think you wanted this to be more of a straight horror. I think you wanted to be scared with this and you weren't. And I think maybe that was the big letdown. Is that accurate? No, I don't know that I necessarily because I haven't felt scared watching the other ones. I just wanted to be... I wanted to be more invested in the characters and I did want some of those sort of over the top gut wrenching gore moments. And I feel like a lot of that stuff ends up being more undercut than you expect. Like the tattoo gun thing that Matt mentioned earlier, I feel like that was an example of that. And it's like some of the, the worst bits they kind of show you in the trailer. I just, I don't know. I feel like the trailer did this movie a disservice. Yeah, I I agree with you on the trailer. But you prefer the 2013 incarnation of this film to the 2023 version. Is that right? Yes. And I furthermore think that it gets an unfair Rotten Tomatoes score because like Evil Dead 2013 had to struggle so that this movie could exist. It had to establish, hey, we can do a movie without Ash that's not comedic And everyone's like, fuck that, and then gave it bad reviews. And now here we are again doing those same kinds of things, but everyone's mellowed out and accepted it. And we've got three seasons of TV show with Ash if we want to revisit it. And so I just feel like it's, I feel like 2013's Evil Dead is a better movie than this one. And I don't think that this is a bad movie. I just don't think it's as good as Evil Dead 2013. I'm right there with you on the 2013 um, movie. I I think it's it's a, one of my more favorite Evil Dead ones, um, and I felt like it uh, it played in the universe maybe a little bit better. As far as the like over establishment, I will also agree on that. Um, but I will also agree with the point that like that is kind of a trope of Evil Dead, and even watching the 2013 it does a lot of like kind of establishment of things. I don't think it's as a big of a, as an offender. Um, and I don't think it's, it's a little more subtle and I think it does it better, but I, I do think that it over establishment is a little bit of a trope of evil dead stuff. Yeah. I, I just think it was, it's almost like, cause you're familiar with the, the whole Chekhov's gun thing, right? That if there's a gun that appears in the Absolutely. scene, it's going to be fired. 
So like that's yes. that's what they were doing like basically the entire movie, but it wasn't if the gun appears in the scene it's going to be fired. It was like if the gun appears in the scene somebody's going to fire and miss. You know what I mean? So it's like it <laughs> that's kind of how I felt. It was like establishing things and then the payoff for the establishing of that thing was like okay. Well, the Deadite got scissors in its face. Would have been more interesting if somebody got their eyes gouged out with the scissors. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess that's where I landed on it. Is I felt like the, the payoffs would have been perfectly fine, but in an Evil Dead movie, I wanted the payoffs to be bigger. I know, maybe that's not fair, but that's just where I came at from it. You're all gore elitists. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do you even know who my father is? Why you gotta be so bougie? Is? Ugh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So looking at this film, I know Brian and I talked about this a little bit before recording, uh, but do you feel like Evil Dead Rise qualifies as feminist horror? A resounding hell yeah for me. Um, that's one of the first things that I, when I walked out of the theater, I was like, wow, I think this could really truly qualify as feminist horror. And it's taking residence in the feminist horror circle of the is it horror Venn diagram, for me at least. Um, I thought it was well executed. I, I even saw some like uh, imagery references to movies like High Tension and The Descent with like all the blood and everything, the way that, you know, the female characters were standing. I, I would definitely say it's feminist horror. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I feel like, you know, all of our you know our our main deadite and our main protagonist being strong female characters i think is is very indicative of feminist horror uh so yeah i agree i think it definitely works on that level not just because there are so many female protagonists within the film or female main characters but also because i think that it tends to focus more on experiences that are distinctly female you know like of course having to deal with the idea of whether or not you would want to give birth to a child something that's of course that personal decision that we've got beth going through and then dealing with motherhood and sisterhood uh them having to bond and deal with this world together and and what that means i feel like the movie did spend a good deal of time focusing on those things so it's so it even goes above just having a lot of female characters, but dealing with issues that are more distinctly feminine. So I thought that was, I thought it was good. I think it does work in that context for sure. I honestly was going to say, I don't think it's feminist horror, but now that I hear your guys's like reasonings, I, I definitely can see it now with the, with the motifs of like motherhood, sisterhood, um, parenthood, like single parenthood, pregnancy. Yeah, I can definitely see it now. I mean, they even touched on slut-shaming through the entire movie. Like, that was pretty darn feminist. That's true. I forgot about that with the whole, you know, groupie true. insult that kept being thrown around. Yeah. Dealing with being, like, a divorced woman and how society views you. Like, I saw a lot of facets. I was a little, I was a little impressed, actually. All right. Well, then, before we close out, I guess the other thing I wanted to see is um, where where do you think the franchise should go next from here? What would you like to see happen next? 
Well, I think that Beth's baby needs to be a deadite, and she needs to kick the bucket first thing in the before the opening credits in the next uh, movie. And I want to see what Cassie does. Like, I'm willing to invest in Cassie for a few movies. Let's watch her go through puberty and go apeshit on the high school. Like, do it. I'm ready. I think it'd be cool to see Cassie go, like, full Laurie Strode. She could do it. I think she could really do it. There was something very Carol Ann about her character, too. Like, from Poltergeist, like, the very innocent but slightly weird blonde kid. I don't know. I want Ash to meet Cassie, and then Beth somehow dies, and then Ash has, is like, I have to take care of this freaking kid now. I think that'd be great. I just want Ash back. And then Pedro Pascal can make an, a cameo as well, because we gotta have the, you know, surrogate adopted oh, daughter, yeah. unintentionally adopted daughter. <laughs> <laughs> he just shows up, and Ash is like, I think you got this, bro. Yep. Yeah, we'll just we'll we'll tie in all all of the fan fandoms, Star Wars. Yeah, it'll be fine. I think that's the big thing that I want out of the next film is I don't want it to be a situation where Evil Dead basically just turns into an anthology series going forward, where it's just all separate stories that never connect up. I want a continuation of this story, but I want continuation of what else we've got too. I'd like to see at least one of either Mia from Evil Dead 2013 or Ash or uh, Pablo or Kelly or Ash's daughter from the end of the Evil Dead TV series. Like, I want to see some of these other characters pop up in some meaningful way, not not just a cameo at this point, because I feel like we're past that. If a cameo was going to happen, then it would have been at the end of this movie. But next movie, no. We full-on got to have one of them, one of those people, as a character throughout the film. I'm not going to, like, sit here and burn everything down if that doesn't happen, but, man, is that at the top of my wish list. Like, let's connect this up. Well, let's be real. If the next uh, installment of this picks up at the cabin um, in this most recent film uh, from 2023, if we pick up in a cabin there, it would probably, from what I remember from it anyway, be very easy to tie Mia's character into it because, hello, it's a second, you know, similar instance at another cabin in the woods, and it would be so easy to tie her character back into the storyline at that point. You might get your wish. Just greenlight this stuff, guys. Please, just do it. I think that's what I'd want to see is Beth and Mia meet up. Like, of course, it'd be fun to have Ash back, but I feel like bringing him back in would, it's not the tonal trajectory that I feel like the series is taking with 2013 and this one. It, it would be, it would be difficult for me to kind of see those worlds melding. Like I, not difficult for me, but I guess I just don't, it would be a different thing, I guess. And I, I kind of, I do like the kind of more serious tone that the, the 2013 and Rise have taken. And I think it would be more interesting, not more interesting, but I th that's where I think I'd want to see it. I, I want those two to connect up and continue the tonal trajectory that it's taking. And I think it'd be hard to do that if you brought Ash back in. Or any, or Kelly or Pablo. I mean, I love them all and want to see them in there i would love to see that as a separate movie but i want to see beth and mia hook up i guess <laughs> in whatever way you want to take that i mean i'm fine with that just saying 
Let, let's have another yeah. queer positive movie. I'm into that too. Yes. Absolutely. I kind of think that Ash as we know him doesn't really fit into the tone of these two movies anymore. Just my opinion. No, but he should be showing up in like I really feel like Bruce Campbell should have been featured in that um old photograph of the priest that Danny found down in the uh the bank vault. Like I want to see Bruce Campbell's face even if he doesn't appear live action. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'd like to see them kind of cement in uh you know that he's there, that he's part of the universe. He should literally just become the evil dead Stan Lee in these movies. He should just show up and then promptly leave. <laughs> Or they could uh, establish that all the shenanigans at the end of Ash vs. Evil Dead happened prior to this, and they're, like, researching it. And then you can have, like, uh, Beth and Mia researching that together and feel like, Hero saves Michigan and then disappears? <laughs> Question mark. And, like, uh, yeah. And uh, Beth and Mia could, like, be the founders of whatever is the company that, like, saved Ash at the end of ash versus evil dead or something like that yeah we've got ash versus evil dead establishing that there's the knights of samaria roaming around somewhere so like have pablo and uh kelly have hooked up with them and pop in and be like we're recruiting you to the avengers or something i know that probably makes it feel <laughs> not like the evil dead at all but i just want them to come together just do it <laughs> i'd like to talk to you about the knights of sumeria initiative yeah 100% on board no matter how bad it gets. <laughs> oh, when I went to go see this, there was a creepy carnival set up in the um, parking lot of the movie theater. I thought that was very appropriate. That's funny. It was a really, really ratchet carnival. Like, it looked like maybe it was not entirely safe to get on those rides, maybe. It was it was a tough call. Yeah, I guess that's the risk you always take with a parking lot carnival, right? <laughs> Right? And it wasn't even set up on the grass. It was set up on the the cement. Like, there, you had no hope if you fell out of that little mini Ferris wheel with, all, like, all 12 of its bucket seats. Would this be a movie theater I'd be familiar with, out of curiosity? Not at all. It was it was up north in, in the middle of nowhere of Pennsylvania. Like, the backwoods of Pennsylvania. Not quite a dollar theater, but it was, yeah, it's it's out there. All right, fair enough. There's essentially no movie theater between, like, Allentown and the Poconos, right? <laughs> I mean, probably accurate. <laughs> probably. it's. Oh, there's some scary stuff in northeastern Pennsylvania, y'all. I'm just telling you. All right. Well, I think that about does it for us. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Is It Horror? Um, if you agreed with what we had to say, or if you didn't agree with what we had to say, feel free to hit us up on social media. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're right. Tell us we missed something. Go for it. And uh, also, if you have a friend looking for a new podcast, go ahead and suggest this one to them. The more listeners we get, the easier it is for us to make more of these things. So hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully you feel like you can recommend it. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll be talking about Stephen King's the Gunslinger, the first book in the Dark Tower series, uh, as you may have known from previous episodes, there's some Dark Tower fans here, so we're excited to talk about that. Uh, it's no coincidence that it'll be our 19th episode of the season, so be here for that, and uh, we'll see you then. And I have been Steve. And I've been Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitt. Swallow your soul! Swallow your soul! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye! Bye! 
Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?